The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. I absolutely love your pastor. And that's a good-looking family over there, too. I'm a cynical old preacher. And sometimes I have to see the real deal to keep doing what I do. And your pastor is the real deal. And you are very, very fortunate. Um, I've been looking forward to this time. I have family here in Birmingham, and uh, they tell me about Faith Presbyterian, what's going on here, and the real life in this place. If you, uh, most of you don't know who I am, but some of you may have heard me on the radio, and if that's your familiarity with me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was in St. Louis and one of my, somebody came to one of my staff people and said, I had to come tonight because I wanted to see what he looked like. <laughs> and my staff person said, well, and uh, this lady said, I was greatly disappointed. <laughs> I was expecting the Marlboro Man. <laughs> and then I was in Los Angeles one time, and this, after this conference where I'd spoken, this young man came up to the platform, and he said, uh, Dr. Brown, you're old. And I said, I know that. He turned and walked off and got to the end of the platform and turned around and said, I mean, really old. <laughs> so if you were expecting the Marlboro Band, I'm so sorry for that. I have a wonderful voice. It's better than yours. <laughs> and God thought it was funny to put this kind of voice in this kind of body. And frankly, I have never forgiven him uh, for doing that to me. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence overwhelmed with your greatness and your love. Father, you know every person in this place and you know and you know the hard places and the soft places the tears, the laughter, the pain, the secrets. We're here, not because we're good, but because we're yours. Father, in this place, may we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. We lift the one who teaches before you and ask that you would forgive him his sins because they are many 
we would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He was a master painter and he had a student and he was going to critique the student who had painted a picture of Jesus. And the master painter said to the student, you don't love him. And the student said, why, that's the Lord Jesus. And the master painter said, if you loved him more, you would paint him better. I've used that over the years to make people feel guilty. But as I get older, it makes me feel guilty. I think of the people I've hurt, the places I've gone that I'm ashamed of, the things I've said and thought, the sins I've committed, and I wonder how horribly I've painted him. But I'm old. And you're very fortunate to have me this morning. It's not because I'm wise or because I'm brilliant or certainly not because I'm good looking. You're fortunate to have me because I'm old and I don't care. <laughs> One of the good things, and there aren't many about being old, I'm already irritated at being old. It takes very little to tick me off. But one of the good things is I don't give a rip. I'm not looking for a bigger church. I'm married to the same woman for a whole lot of years, and I have enough money to take her to dinner. The mortgage is paid up. I'm my own boss. I don't, I get a lot of criticism, and I don't care. So if you really want to hear the truth, go to an old person, because they'll tell you the truth. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, then you feel free to look around and see who does and who doesn't. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for self-righteousness. We're going to look at the last part of the seventh chapter of Romans and the first part of the eighth chapter of Romans. But let me give you a couple of verses because I couldn't read the whole chapter to you, but um, we're going to be talking about what Paul was saying in this seventh and eighth chapter of the book of Romans. In the 11th verse, he says, for sin taking occasion by the commandment, that would be the law, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Look down at the 14th verse. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand for what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that is what I do. I don't believe I would have said that. 
and then drop down to the text that's listed in your bulletin, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness Righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, before we dig in, I want to say something about that seventh chapter of the book of Romans. If you read commentaries much, you're aware that there are many scholars who suggest that Paul is talking about his past testimony before he encountered Christ, before he was changed, before he became a new creature. If you have those commentaries in your library, burn them. That's simply not true. The last time I checked, God could conjugate verbs. And when he means things in the past, he puts them in the past. If he means them in the present, he puts them in the present. And so Paul here isn't talking about a past experience where God fixed him and now he was perfect and he's going to show you how to be perfect. When he writes this chapter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, I don't understand my actions. The good that I want to do, I don't do. You have that problem? The evil I don't want to do, that's what I do. Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so Paul is not talking about the way you were before you were saved. He's not talking about your being a new creature and these things no longer being so. He's talking about a present reality in the life of every Christian. You don't fool me. I've been doing this for a long, long time. 
I know that everybody in this congregation has a secret that if you were required to share it to the rest of the members of this church, you would leave in embarrassment. You look spiritual and together. But I know the truth. People are always saying to me, I'm going to show you the real, real world. I've seen more of the real world when I was a pastor in a week than most people see in a lifetime. Can't tell you the suicides I've watched and cleaned up after. The babies I've buried, the confessions I've listened to. And I know the struggles that you're going through. I know that you want to be better. I know that most of you don't know how. Let me tell you something. I've never met a Christian man or woman who didn't want to be better than he or she was. And so I'm here to help. And I'm going to tell you the truth. It would probably be good to start with a kind of definition of what the curse is. If you took the time to notice, the title for this sermon is The Blessed Curse. What's the curse? Well, if you read Colossians and you're digging into Colossians right now, the third chapter in the 13th verse, and you'll never get to it before I say it unless you're a Baptist and grew up with those sword drills. Baptists don't air conditioning their churches. They have sword drills and they flip the things, get the wind going, and it is uh, quite comfortable in a Baptist church. Christ has redeemed us, the Apostle Paul said, from the curse of our sin. No, no, I didn't say that. Christ has redeemed us from the turkeys who are after me. He didn't say that. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so, this is for you. It was communion. It was an Anglican church, and an old lady came forward to receive the elements of the Eucharist. And she started thinking about her life. I know what that's like. And she backed up from the communion rail and the priest stuck the cup in her nose and said, take it, woman. It's for sinners. It's for you. Let me show you. The blessed curse, the law of God, the blessed curse first allows us to see who God really is. As you read this seventh chapter, Paul is not happy with who he is because he knows that he stands before a holy God. Listen to me. If you've never stood before God and been afraid, you're probably worshiping an idol. God is holy and righteous 
and sovereign and creator and sustainer and his law is perfect. It's not suggestions. C.S. Lewis is about the only hero I have left, so if you know any dirt on Lewis, keep it to yourself. <laughs> In one of the Chronicles of Narnia, and if you're familiar with those, there's a lion. His name is Aslan, and he's the Lion of Judah. And the children go into Narnia, if you've seen the film or read the books, and they're gone forever. And when they come back, gone only a short time, and really cool things happen in Narnia. In one of those books, Jill comes into Narnia, and she's very thirsty, and there's a stream of cold, pure water. And she starts to go and get something to drink. And then she notices that there is a lion between where she is and the water is. And she steps back and she says, do, do you eat little girls? And the lion says, yes. And little boys and men and women and worlds and universes. She said, well, will you promise not to eat me if I go over there and get a drink of water? And the lion says, no. She says, then I'll go to another stream. And the lion says, there is no other stream. And she stamps her foot and says, then I'll be thirsty. And the lion says, then be thirsty. That's God. The sovereign ruler who is holy and righteous, and you're not. And if that doesn't scare the spit out of you, there's something wrong with you. If you've never stood before God and been afraid, you're worshiping an idol. By the way, if you've never stood before God and been confused, you're probably worshiping an idol. And if you've never stood before God and been loved when you knew you didn't deserve it, then you're probably worshiping an idol. And that brings me to the second thing. The blessed curse of the law not only reveals a holy and righteous God who frankly is scary. The blessed curse reveals who we are. Paul was not kidding when he said, O wretched man that I am. Paul understood when he said it is a saying worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the chief of sinners. How did he know that? He knew it because he had measured himself by the law that had been revealed by God. Brant Hansen is a friend of mine. I love him almost like a son. 
His latest book is on self-righteousness and it's called The Truth About Us. And it's one of the best books I've ever read on self-righteousness. Brent says in the introduction, we have a problem. We think we are good people and God says we are not. P.S. The rest of this book is about our problem. Standing before God, looking at the law without flinching. People sometimes tell me that I'm authentic. I'm not. I just want you to know I'm a sinner before you find out. And frankly, I want to put a spin on it that makes it look better than it really is. But let me tell you something. One of my good parts is that I never, ever lie to myself. Because of the law, I know my sins. I know the darkness. I know the pain. I know the fear. And if you don't, you don't understand. And then thirdly, the law, the blessed curse, not only lets us know who God is, if you'll allow it, it will let you know who you are. And then thirdly, it will point to Jesus and eliminate every other possibility. I love it when people are religious but not Christians. And I often say to them, you're going to hit a wall. When you hit that wall, you come and talk to me because I've got some really good news for you. I love it when people are, say they're spiritual, but they're not religious. They won't have anything to do with the church. I want to say, well, that's fine. I guess that's better than nothing, but you're going to end up in such misery and failure. And when you're there and it's dark enough, you come to me, I've got something to say to you. Brennan Manning, who's a grace writer, drunk, <laughs> failure, kicked out of good places, um, has a great story about Gideon who... Uh, who uh, gets irritated with God. You ever get irritated with God? I do. I'm a man of prayer. I get up early every morning around four. Jesus and coffee get me up. And mostly it's coffee and some of it's Jesus. And I am the person who is the most honest servant that Jesus has. I tell him everything. I grade him and tell him what he did wrong. <laughs> I yell at him, and sometimes I'm prostrate on the floor when I worship him. And sometimes when I'm cussing and spitting, that's why I get up early. I don't want anybody to hear me pray. He says, you threw, and then he loves me. That was Gideon's experience. In fact, he went out into the desert and just sulked in front of his tent and because uh, he was so angry at God. And God came and overwhelmed him with his love. 
and Gideon got giddy. He started dancing in front of his tent and he said, hey, God, tell me that you love me. And God said, Gideon, I love you. And he danced some more and said, hey, God, tell me again that you love me. And God says, Gideon, I love you. Then Gideon says, hey, God, why do you love me? And there's a long, long silence. Finally, God says, I have no earthly idea. There is something unreasonable about my passion. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, about 10% more than he loves you. And if you can't say exactly the same thing back to me, you don't get it. For God so loves Steve so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, especially Steve, will live forever and dance and sing and speak in tongues if he could. And then there's one other thing. Let the law do its work remind you of the God that you worship. Little gods do little things, and that's why your prayers are so empty. Let the law do its work. The psalmist says it's perfect. Paul said it's a curse. Let it do its work in you. And then when it is done, its work in you, and reminded you of your God, run to Jesus and let him love you. I love the PCA, but we can be a mean bunch. We really, nothing worse than a mean Calvinist. (laughs) You know what their problem is? They got saved, but they didn't stay long enough to get loved. God was doing fine before you came along. And he's going to do fine long after you're gone. So just sit there and let him love you and set you free. I'm free. I'm bad, but I'm free. And I'm getting better because I'm loved and I'm free. There's an old sermon illustration. One of my favorite ones, about the time Lincoln went down to a slave market just before the Civil War and bought a slave girl. She looked at him uh, and thought, Another honky, another white man who buy me and use me and abuse me 
but he won the bid. And they were walking off together, and Lincoln turned to her and, and said, you're free. And she said, what? And Lincoln said, you're free. What does that mean, she said. It means you're free. Can I do whatever I want to do? Lincoln said, yeah, you can do whatever you want to do. Can I, if I'm free, say whatever I want to say? And Lincoln said, yes, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean that I can go wherever I want to go? And Lincoln said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And then she said, tears streaming down her face to Lincoln, I think I'll go with you. You say that to Jesus. And if you listen to what I taught you, you know why. You think about that. Amen.